Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Elon Musk is taking over Twitter to the tune of $44 billion. If there wasn't a problem, why do you think Elon Musk decided to take this on? If approved by regulators, Twitter will go private. He bought the platform because of the upside. Yeah, I mean, it's just so hard to know (laughs) where this will go, but it's been a fun story to follow and we'll continue to follow. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Elon Musk goes to Washington. Elon Musk doesn't super respect or necessarily treat regulatory agencies that seriously. This is tech reporter Rebecca Kern. Um, Right now, based on his past interactions with SEC, with NHTSA, and others... I don't really think he factors Washington, D.C. really into his business acumen. This is my perspective. He hasn't really had to have a lot of oversight from Congress, per se. He will probably have to in the future. On the show today, what Elon Musk's past battles with regulators tell us about his future relationships in Washington. Yeah, so he's been a bit of um, a difficult person for regulators to navigate at times. Um, he, uh, there have been a few examples. One of my colleagues wrote pretty adeptly about it. Um, one would be he's tweeted about in the past on 420, for example, that he wanted to bring his publicly traded Tesla um, private for $420 a share. Mm -hmm. And then that led to actions from SEC and a large fine he had to pay. And actually as part of the agreement, he was supposed, he's supposed to have someone reviewing his tweets. Not exactly sure if that's happening (laughs) given the tweets we're seeing from him recently. That's just one example. He's had run-ins with NHTSA, the Highway Safety Administrator under Department of Transportation. He's just kind of taken these regulatory attempts to of oversight with a bit of pushback, a bit taking it not very seriously and calling SEC some names that aren't even safe on air to talk about. You know, so he doesn't really appreciate regulatory oversight and doesn't seem to respect some of these agencies. Mm -hmm. I don't really know what it means for the other companies he owns. You know, I saw a tweet today that he will be. What this means for the other, like for regulation in the other companies he owns. For the other companies, I mean, I just think it's going to pull Musk in many, many directions and could make him a less effective CEO, right? If his, if his, <laughs> if his time is being subsumed by, I mean, someone was saying Musk may have the most committees that he has, that he will be, um, subject to their oversight in Congress of any CEO. Because wow. <laughs> he runs SpaceX, Boring Company, Tesla, and now Twitter. They're huge companies, and they all have different regulatory agencies overseeing them, and thus different committees in Congress um, who will be 
you know, overseeing them and mm-hmm. having hearings and potentially bringing him up there and could be a distraction for Musk, you know, who doesn't really respect um, regulatory oversight to begin with. <laughs> so I could foresee this being a headache for him. I mean, I think we do have to keep this in perspective. This deal is not closed. It could take up to six months. And Musk is a notoriously erratic person. And who knows? He could back out. I mean, I wouldn't say this is fully cooked, you know? And we still don't really know the full motivation behind him buying this company, which hasn't been a big lucrative revenue generator for years. Twitter just hasn't produce new products or really been ahead of the game like some of their competitors. And so why did he buy it? I mean, a lot of people said it didn't really make business sense. He bought it at a 20% premium than it's valued. And if it's really to control speech and use this as a megaphone for himself, maybe. But he tends to be on the edge and looking to the future of technologies. And Twitter's been around since 2006, right? So it doesn't really align with his other business interests, which is the future of space, the future of cars, Boring Company, which creates lots of new innovative products, Neuralink, which is a new product he's developing that would put a computer chip in your brain. Like this is the Musk we know. And Twitter is like, 2006, you know, yeah. it's, it's an older company. Right. It's not really on the edge of any technology. Um, in fact, it's not really a technology. It's just a platform that we use to communicate online. That's so interesting. Yeah. It's a really interesting buy and not really in line with his business interests. But I, I would argue this isn't really a business buy for him. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's not a done deal either. So I'm interested in some of the specific relationships or tensions that Musk has got with, you know, individual lawmakers or regulators. Are there certain people that are massive Musk champions on Capitol Hill or certain people that are massive Musk hawks? Yeah. So I would say some of the ones who've been very vocal are, say, Republican Senator Marsha Blackburn, Mm -hmm who's really embracing him as, you know, bringing free speech back to Twitter because Republicans allege and certainly Twitter and other, so it's not just Twitter, other social media platforms have removed content primarily coming from Republicans for violating their existing content moderation policies mm-hmm. because, you know, they are spreading misinformation or disinformation or in the case of former President Donald Trump, inciting violence. And even if Democrats did that, they would also be removed. It just tends to fall among that certain political leaning where more of those actions, more more of these lawmakers are pushing the barrier, the boundary. Marjorie Taylor Greene, for example, mm-hmm. is another who Twitter has suspended multiple times. Musk himself has spread covid misinformation theories that claiming he's immune to COVID. So you don't even have to go far to suppose that such misinformation could now be allowed under a Musk on Twitter. Mm -hmm. You know, I imagine those people who align with those theories will be supportive of him, but those who don't, who raise concerns about misinformation that's currently already on the platform, mind you, that's not not there. It's just being regulated to some degree. 
So, you know, he's he's engaged with, you know, Senator Elizabeth Warren, who's repeatedly criticized not just Musk, but many billionaires for not, not paying enough taxes because we don't have, you know, a tax code that is encompassing a lot of their businesses. So mm-hmm. she says that could be the problem and the solution. We could tax these billionaires more and they wouldn't exist. So he's engaged with her some too. Are there any other examples from the way that regulators or Congress have dealt with Zuckerberg and Meta that you see impacting the Musk relationship? Like, you know, now with the the same type of regulators, this sort of like mm-hmm. who, what, who, what, when, where specifically? I mean, as someone who's closely followed this space, I have to say Congress has done very little. I mean, mm-hmm. to hold these billionaires to account because in fact, there's very little they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a law if there is bipartisan agreement to change this law, it could actually hit these companies where it hurts in their revenue stream. It's Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, a law from 1996, a bipartisan bill. Ron Wyden is a Democratic senator still in the Senate who Mm -hmm. helped write this when he was on the House side. But it's been in place since before social media companies came into effect. And it more or less would not hold these platforms um, liable for the third party, the user-generated speech on, on their platforms. So therefore, you couldn't sue Twitter for certain content being shared on Twitter. Mm. They're very limited exemptions. One action lawmakers could take that could actually impact these companies would to be to moderate that law to an extent to allow for these companies to be sued for more violative content. The problem is that Democrats and Republicans can't can't see eye to eye on what content should not be allowed on the platform (laughs) today. There was a bill that made it through the Judiciary Committee that like where there was unanimous support on both sides uh, on child sexual abuse content. That Mm. is you know, repulsive. No one politically would stand behind that, right? It has not hit the Senate floor. It has gone through two cycles of Congress. Mm. These companies spend billions lobbying against any changes to their broad liability shield because they're one of the few industries that have this extensive liability protection where you can't sue them. Very Mm. few. I mean, I don't even think we can think of another sector that has this really strong protection that Congress, in fact, gave them. So um, it is in Congress's hands. They have the ability to change that law. Biden has even asked for them to. Same for Trump back in the day for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Biden's argument is we need to take more of this violative content offline and we need to let companies be sued for it and held responsible and hit them in the pocketbook, right? Um, and on the other reverse, uh, Trump said we need to hold them liable for censoring or for taking too much content down. But also it just came down to Congress not acting because mm. as we know, a president can't change a law on right. their own. So this is where we sit is with Section 230 – They have an option to change it. Um, There's just no bipartisan agreement broadly besides this this minor provision on child sexual abuse content. Mm -hmm. It's not moved forward for a floor vote. So um, that's where I see there could be potential for Congress to act. It's just been a really long process for them to come to agreement on acting. 
Rebecca Kern, thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks for for this opportunity. I appreciate it. Also in the news, a new report out of Rutgers University in New Jersey shows that the number of New Jersey preschool students took a big drop last year, lining up with national trends spurred by the COVID-19 pandemic. And nearly 60% of the U.S. population has antibodies due to COVID-19 infection, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, a steep rise that marks the first time during the pandemic when more than half of Americans have shown evidence of the virus infection. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening.